I'm very glad you're all here. I'm particularly glad we have a Hoggard football player here. He's got a game tonight, homecoming. And I don't know if he just needed a little extra boost or was hoping to, you know, get God to shine down on him. But I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Glad you're here. Uh, this is our fourth Iron Leadership for this semester. And um, after, as I start talking this morning, you might say, not, not out loud, we've talked about this already. That's my, that little voice might come into your mind. And uh, I would say to that, number one, repetition is the mother of all learning. You can ask every coach or teacher. And number two, what we're talking about in terms of vision in these opening verses in Nehemiah, specifically chapter one, is a foundational piece. And if you don't get that piece in the right spot, then the rest of this stuff can be built at a, at a bad angle. So we want to make sure that's right. And really what we're trying to, to hammer out is vision. So the definition that I'm coming up with for vision is a preferred future. So you look out into the future and you prefer something to be in the future about yourself or about your family, about your church, about your business, whatever it is. It's a picture of what could or and should be. So that's what, how I'm using vision, and I'm thinking of it in two ways, two sides to one coin. First, a vision for your soul, or what I'm ta talking about there is your interior life, who you are, not what you do, but who you are. And secondly, a vision for what you do, a vision for yourself. What do I do as a family man? What do I do as a church man? What does I do as a businessman? Whatever that case is, so we're we're, both of those are important, but we're trying to talk about how do we have the right vision for our soul, and then we have the right vision for ourselves. And most guys are really um, focused in on what's my vision for myself? What am I going to do? And that's great, but if you don't have an interior life that's expanding the same rate as your exterior life, then you can end up with with problems. So we don't talk about those. And to get a clear vision, these are the words I came up. It takes, it takes patience. So it takes time. It takes pounding. So it's not just time, but during that time, you got to pound on yourself. You got to pound on your soul. You got to pound on the Lord. You got to pound on other people to, to pound it out. And it takes practice. You have to start or develop new habits or new practices or what we would call spiritual disciplines. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to take patience, pounding, and practice to prepare you to move forward. But the problem with patience, pounding, and practice is in our race car culture, those are like four-letter words. You know, like, oh, don't tell me that. We, we, do, we just live in the fast lane and patience and pounding and practice is some, for someone else or for another time. But I don't have time for all that. I'm moving so fast, and I have so much energy to move forward. I don't have time for those kinds of things. And uh, so what I want us to do is take time, but I want to show us a little video that's perfect. Some of you have seen it because I showed it, I think, a couple of years ago. But it, the, the beginning is reality. And then the second little piece are our expectations in terms of vision. We, we, what reality is, is it takes patience, pounding, and practice to work on your soul or to work on what you wanna, who you wanna, what you want to do. 
but we live in the fast lane, and we just like for all of it to happen in, in five seconds. You'll enjoy this. But Holland comes in for a pit stop. Time to refuel and change tires. Lou Moore himself changes the tires. Only four crew members, including the driver, are allowed to work on the car. It's a tense time. Holland stays in his seat, anxious to get away. Let's watch. Tires are changed at last. A crewman polishes the windshield as Holland moves away just 67 seconds after he stops. Okay, that's reality. These are our expectations. That, that's, that's what we would like. We would like to just pull in, and then it's just in five seconds, it's all done. Here's my vision, here's myself, here's what I'm going to do, and that's about the time we have to take. But as, as you know, just in your own reality, it takes time. So I think some of these college students here, it's going to take time. You're not going to land right out of college knowing exactly who you are, knowing exactly what you want to do. It's going to take pounding. I love that guy in the, you know, taking the tires off. He's just pounding, you know, that thing off to get the tire off. And I think it was 60 seconds, 67 seconds or something like that versus five seconds. Incredible. And you hear like the jet engine cars in the background. So awesome. So when we come to chapter two of, uh, of uh, Nehemiah, let's look at that. Chapter two, verse four. Here's the main question. Nehemiah is a servant to the king of Babylon. And so Nehemiah is a Jewish man who his family, not himself, he was born in Babylon, but his family, the Jewish people, were displaced from Israel into Babylon. And now he's grown up and he's serving the king. And he works as a cupbearer to the king. So he's the person who, if somebody poisons the drink, he drinks it first. And if he goes down, then we know the, the, the king's not going to drink that. So he's got a very special relationship, a very trusted relationship with the king. And he's coming in, and the king sees that Nehemiah's sad, and he asks this question. Then the king said to me, what are, you, what are you requesting? What do you want? So this is a huge question that this king is asking Nehemiah, what do you want? And that's, that's the start. The answer to that question is the start of your vision. 
What do you want to be? What do you want to do? That's, that's the main fundamental question. Who do you want to be? What are you requesting? What, what, what's the hunger that drives your heart? Now, interestingly enough, in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus gets baptized, and a couple of guys from John the Baptist group start following after Jesus. And you get the idea that Jesus is kind of walking down the road, and these two guys kind of trail in behind him. And the very first words Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John is to these guys who are eventually going to be his disciples. Andrew, we know, is one of them. We think John is the other one. He turns to these guys, and what does he say? What do you want? Now, on one level, it's kind of just this superficial question, why are you, you following after me? But we know Jesus never asked just one layered question. He's also asking, what hunger is driving your heart? Do you know? Do you know why you're following after me? Do you know what's in your heart? What is it you really want? So Jesus asked that same question that this king. Now, imagine the king of kings asking you that question. What do you want? So what, what would be your answer if Jesus asked you, well, what do you want? What, do you, what is it you're looking for? And that takes pounding. You can't just say it all at once. It's not a pit stop. You pull in and then boom, you're ready to go. That takes pounding. That takes shaping. And of course, what I wanted when I was 25 is different than what I want when, now that I'm 28. So it takes, you know, it, it, it can get reshaped over time. 38, really, but not 28. So the first, so my question here is, it, how do you, it, let's say you don't know what the hungers are in your heart. Or you know them and they're not good, right? You know you got certain hungers in your heart like pride or lust or greed, anger, whatever that is. And you say, okay, I, know, I can identify some of them and they're not good. Or I'm not really sure what drives me from the inside out. And so here are a couple of steps that Nehemiah takes that we can take with him. That's what I love about Nehemiah. He does things you and I can do. It's not a, it's not a miracle. The very first thing that happens for Nehemiah, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he has this very important encounter. He's a, he's a servant to the king. People from Jerusalem have come back to him, and, and he's said, hey, can you give me a report about what's happened in Jerusalem? And it says, uh, and they said to me, verse 3, chapter 1, the remnant there, the people that got left there that didn't get deported into Babylon, uh, They've, the ones that have survived the exile, they're in great trouble and shame. And the wall, sort of symbolic of their trouble and shame, is broken down. And as soon as I heard these words, this is Nehemiah reacting now to this news, I, I sat down, I wept, I mourned for days, and I continued to fast and pray. So what happens with Nehemiah is he has what I'm calling a holy discontent moment. He hears something and it gets down in his core. It's not just, yeah, that's a bummer and you kind of move on. You hear that kind of news all the time. Or that's wonderful, but you move on. This is something when he hears it or when he sees it, it gets all the way down to his heart. 
And, and the first step in trying to figure out what do you want, who do you want to be, is trying to figure out what has that kind of effect on my heart. It has the kind of effect on Nehemiah that he knows he's going to have to have an effect on it. Does that make sense? You hear stuff that you think somebody ought to do something about that, but then you move on. But this is the kind of thing that when he sees it, when he knows it, he knows he has to have an effect on it. That's the difference in what I'm taught and trying to, to, to try to get you to dig up. You know this is something you're going to have to work on. And this can happen for, for your interior life or your exterior life. So, for instance, let's say there's something about your interior life that has to change. It just has to change. You can't move forward in a God-honoring direction without this interior thing being changed. Probably you can identify a few things right away. A lot of times, if you're married, your wife points them out to you. Or sometimes your kids point them out to you. You don't necessarily even see them, but if you have a good friend, they come up to you and say, dude, this has got to change. If you're going to make any real progress, if you're going to be the kind of leader that God's designed for you, you've got to change this about your interior life or something about you you see and you just say, I've had it. I'm sick of this. It's controlling me. I've got to get rid of this habit or this way. And Bill Hybels has a great illustration, but very few of you are old enough to know what this means. He calls it, you have the, the Popeye moment. How many even remember Popeye? You ever see a Popeye cartoon? Like three of you. Okay, good. All right, so here's Popeye, sort of uh, dubious anatomical construction here. But uh, this is what happens with Popeye in every, you know, 15-minute cartoon or five-minute cartoon, whatever they were. He gets agitated, right? Sometimes it's about his really beautiful girlfriend, olive oil. Sometimes it's about other things. But he gets agitated, and he has his Popeye moment, and he says the same thing every single time. You know what, what he says? I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. And he pops open the spinach can, and he busts somebody up, right? That's what you love about Popeye if you're a guy. Boom, he's always, you know, hitting somebody. So like, like my sisters never watched Popeye. I was like, yes. And so uh, they caused me to have a lot of Popeye moments, actually, my older sisters. I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. Well, so that's what I'm talking about. There's something that happens, and again, you could see it in yourself, or you could see something in the culture, at the college, in your home, at your business, in the community, in your church, and you just say, I've got to act on this. It's not something I can just see and move on. I've got to move in in some way. And so trying to get to the answer of what do you want, trying to get down to that heart level is what gets to what what really rocks your heart. It's not going to be the same thing for everybody. God has made us different. So that's the first step. Second step, second step is practices. Now, we've spent the whole time talking about this last week, so I don't want to go over it, but we talked about what, is, what does Nehemiah do? He prays, he uh, fasts, he journals, he writes down his thoughts. We know that because he has a plan once the king asks him. 
So we just talked about those three disciplines. Those are new habits that you might need to have in your life. Pray, fast, and discipline. This isn't pray one day, fast one day, journal one day, and then bingo, you got the answer, right? That's what we think of as the pit stop idea. It's going to take longer. You're going to have to have this as a habit. For Nehemiah, he has to do it for four months. So before he works on an external problem, the wall being broken down, what does Nehemiah first work on? He works on himself. It's a huge step. He sees something wrong externally. The walls are broken down. But before I step into that, I want to make sure I'm ready internally. See, I'm going to step into something that I'm going to get a lot of weight and responsibility for, and I want to make sure my base, my interior life is big enough to handle that. And so the very first step is what's, what's, what gets you at the heart level? What do you see about yourself? What do you see about the world that you say, I've had all I can stands, I can stands no more. And you know you've got to be the person that acts in on it. But before you take that step, you've got to say, am I personally ready for that? Am I in, is my interior life prepared for that step? So a couple of groups last week. Uh, they came up to me uh, right afterwards or, or a couple of days later said, hey, we were talking about this fasting and prayer and journaling. We're, we're, we all kind of challenged each other to do it. And so that's what I'm talking about. You're going to have to have some help. You're going to have to have a team of people helping you move through these things. Now, this pounding, these practices, prayer, fasting, journaling, they're like the guy with a hammer pounding. He's, he's, these things are reshaping how you think. They're, they're uh, crystallizing your vision. And I want to show you how this pounding helps shape Nehemiah. This is the main thing I want to talk about. Uh, first of all, this, the, practice, the, the, the uh, practices, prayer, fasting, journaling, spiritual disciplines, I'm calling them practices, they, they pound Nehemiah into the right perspective. That's my, my first thing. They pound Nehemiah into the right perspective. Think about this with me for a minute. Nehemiah gets news that the people are in shame, trouble and great shame because the wall's broken down. He's angry. He's frustrated. He's agitated. Now, how do the walls get broken down? The king he's serving broke down the walls. Does that make sense? So you might say, who is all of Nehemiah's anger going to be focused towards? The king, right? I hear this. I'm frustrated. I'm going to be angry at my king. I'm going to do whatever I can, can to displace the king. That would seem normal. It's one option. Second option is, how long ago did these walls get broken down? 150 years ago. So Nehemiah could have said, why don't the stupid people build a wall? I mean, it's been 150 years. Why do I need to go back and build the wall? It takes Nehemiah 52 days, I think, to rebuild the wall. So in 150 years, these people couldn't have rebuilt their own wall. So he could have had his anger towards the people. Do you see what I'm saying? His, you could have said, well, he's going to end up being angry at the king and or angry at the people. 
But this hammering gets him in the right perspective. Because if you don't really know which, who, who, what's really driving your heart, you don't really know which way to go. Now look with me at verse 6 and 8 of chapter 1. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. This is what he's going to pray. He's confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you. We've not kept the commands. We've not kept the statutes or the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. So who's really at fault for the destruction of Jerusalem? Nehemiah and his family. See, this is what in the business world they call defining reality. You ever hear that term? So a good leader defines reality. That doesn't mean he makes it up. He knows exactly what reality is. And do you see how Nehemiah could have initially been frustrated and gone to the king? Or initially been frustrated and gone towards the people? But the pounding caused him to say, no, the real problem in this equation is, it's me. I'm the main problem. See, if he doesn't really take time, he's going to chart a course in a totally different direction than what the real problem is. So it takes time to figure out what's the real thing. Now, let me give you a pretty easy example that you guys can understand. When a guy comes to me, and this happens with some frequency, and they have problems with their marriage or their family, what are their main problems so they tell me? Their wife and their kids, right? That's pretty much the main. Do you have any problems, Bob? Sorry if your name is Bob here. Well, I mean, look, I'm not perfect, but my wife and my kids. Or a guy comes to me and I have a problem with, at, with, at work. What's the main problem? My boss, the system, the economy. These are all things outside the person. Now, maybe those are significant problems. I'm saying that it's not that they're never a problem. But the only thing I can work on with Bob is what? Bob. And it's possible, Bob, that what you're getting from your wife and kids is what you've been pouring into your wife and kids. That's very possible. Your attitude, your anger, your fear, your frustrations, they come out in your family all the time. They leak out or pour out. And now what you're getting, attitude, fear, and frustration, from your family. Guess who put it there? You may have been a big contributor. So let's look at you before we look at somebody else. And so that's what Nehemiah, that's what this perspective takes is he hammers it out to say, okay, let's make sure I understand the real problem and that's me. So it's possible to see the problem correctly, but you under, don't understand the true cause. And if you don't understand the true cause, you go in the wrong direction. Does that make sense? That takes time. Number two, this practice 
pounds into Nehemiah his vision. We don't know what he thought in, the first, in verse 4 other than he was distressed, right? I'm distressed. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to fast about it. But over time, he has to decide, well, what am I going to do with this holy discontent? And for Nehemiah, he ends up telling the king, I'd like to go rebuild the wall. I don't think he thought that the very first day. It took time. I'm frustrated. What's possible? What could I do? How can I insert myself? And he finds out, hey, he's going to insert himself by building a wall. Now, there are lots of problems in Jerusalem. Their shame and trouble aren't just coming from a wall. But Nehemiah assesses himself, assesses the possibilities and says, I can't do everything, but I can do one thing. I can't do everything, but I can do something. So you don't want to get so overwhelmed by an issue to say, well, it's just so big, I can't do anything. That happens a lot of times. He says, okay, this is a big problem, and I can't fix the whole system. But I can work on, this is the one thing I can give myself to. Very important in leadership to try to identify what's the one thing you can give yourself to. Nehemiah loves the city of Jerusalem. He loves the people of Jerusalem. He wants them to be safe. He wants it to be an environment where there's human flourishing, that enemies aren't just coming in. So his contribution is going to be building a wall. That's the one thing he's going to do. I love Wilmington, North Carolina. And by God's providence, he planted me here in 1989, 28 years ago. And maybe, you know, he's going to have me move away, but my hope is that I'm going to die in Wilmington, North Carolina. And it's very likely that my children, perhaps my grandchildren, maybe even my great-grandchildren, some of them are going to live and grow up in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I want to today to be doing something that allows human flourishing in Wilmington, North Carolina. Now, of course, I'm going to come from the Christian perspective, but I'm trying to build a wall in some way that allows the city to move forward for human flourishing, not just for me, but for my grandson who's going to live here. And somebody I don't know that's related to me, but I can make a contribution. I can, build, I can do something. I can't do everything. So what am I doing? There's two main things I'm doing. I'm trying to build a solid, God-honoring church. I'm trying to build solid, God-honoring men. Now, there's lots of other things to tackle, but those are the two things I feel like I have energy for, I have time for, and maximize. But that didn't come all at once, and it's not, that's not going to be yours, but you got to figure that out. What is that for you? And you got to think ahead. What is this going to be like in 50 years or 100 years, and how did you contribute to human flourishing after you've left? So it takes pounding. Last, last part. So, so if you remember the trophic cascade, you remember that uh, video the very first time? The, the, the wolves come in, and because of the wolves, then other people begin to flourish, right? And I love the, the, the one about the beaver. It says he sets, a, he sets up his own ecosystem. And I would say for, for me, my, my little ecosystem is the church and men. That's my little ecosystem. But that took time pounding. So what's your little ecosystem? When you build that, a lot of times other people can flourish behind you. Third practice is it pounds into Nehemiah that any success 
is going to be God's success. Look at here, verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, who is great, awesome, keeps his covenant, has steadfast love for those who love him and keep his commandments. Then verse 10, we are your servants, we're your people, we've been redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. So all of the things that are going to happen are going are to happen because of God. Doesn't mean Nehemiah isn't going to be used, but all the glory is going to go back to God. So Nehemiah is not going to get into this situation for Nehemiah. He's going to get in for the glory of God. That makes a really big difference. If your main objective is for yourself or is it for the Lord, whether you're doing business, whether you're doing your family, whether you're doing the church, is the main thing is I want to make my name great. And that might not be a, a name in a light. It might just be a big portfolio or a big 401k or a lot of comfort or whatever it is that you're really doing it for. Are you really doing it for you or are you really doing it for God? Now, this is a question when we ask the question, what do you want? You got to try to dig this up. Whatever you're doing, are you really doing it just to promote yourself? See, you can start a church to promote yourself. That's very easy to do. So it doesn't have to, doesn't have to be a spiritual or non-spiritual thing. You, what's driving? What's the hunger of your heart? And do you know that hunger? Are you sure that what you're doing is really for the Lord? Or is it really, I mean, I think a lot of it's for me. See, because we can fool ourselves. And it's very easy to fool yourself if you don't practice these principles of prayer and fasting and journaling. The very first question Jesus asked in John chapter 1, what do you want? Remember that? Chapter 21 is the very last chapter in the book of John, and he's looking at one of his, Jesus is looking at one of his disciples, Peter, and what does he ask Peter three times? Do you love me? See, this is a heart question. Peter, look, I want you to be the leader of the church, but the leader of the church is going to have to be for Jesus, not for Peter. We've got to get that really, really clear. And why is Jesus asking Peter this question? Well, because a few days later, Peter said out loud in front of everybody, Jesus, I'm for you even if it means my own death, Right? But now we're a few days later, and Peter has denied Jesus. Well, what's happened in between his bold proclamation and his failure? He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus says to Peter and a couple other guys, what does he say? Watch and pray. Guys, this is practice right here. You don't see it, but big pressure is coming on just in a few moments, and I need you to be all teed up. And what does Peter do? He falls asleep. He doesn't practice. Now, who knows what could have happened or would have happened? This is, would be a great sort of like question. What if Peter had prayed, been ready, and had gone with Christ to crucifixion? I mean, we don't, we're never, never going to know that. 
But we do know that in between what he said and what he did is he didn't pray. And what Jesus is trying to say to Peter, Peter, you know what we found out under pressure? Peter's for Peter. You said you were for me, but we found out what's really in the, what's the hunger of your heart is you. So we're trying to dig that up. That's why we have to circle back around it. What, what hunger drives your heart? Do you have these practices in place to really uncover who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do? Let's uh, break up into groups of about three or four. We have about 10 or 12 minutes here, and you can uh, kind of run through these questions and ask them to each other. Ready? Break.